0: Blog
1: Talk Radio Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting The International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the internet airwaves today Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula.
0: We are so blessed to have in our presence Neil Donald Wolf with us today. He is a modern-day spiritual messenger whose words continue to touch the world in profound ways. Neil is the author of the well-known book, Conversations with God, that reached the bestsellers list of the New York Times and occupied that lofty position for over two and a half years. And it can be found in many personal libraries, including ours, I must add, and is being studied as a handbook in groups worldwide. His series of ongoing books, 28 in the present number that emerged from this one has been translated into 37 languages, touching millions, and inspiring important changes in day-to-day lives everywhere. And today, we'll be talking about Neil's latest book, God's Message to the World, where he invites people to a new form of communication with God. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show. I'm Kaz. And I'm
2: Paula. Well, Taz, from the early 90s, Neil has been on the marvelous journey where his connection with God has led him to redefine our Creator with his ongoing experience. Therefore, supporting the shifting spiritual paradigms around the globe, and in order to deal with the enormous response to his writings, he has created several outreach projects, including The CWG Foundation, CWG for Parents, Humanities Team for CWG Helping Outreach, and the Global Conversation, all accessible at his hub website, which is www.cwgportal.com. The CWG stands for Conversations with God. And it's all dedicated to assist the world move from violence to peace, from confusion to clarity, from anger to love. Neil's work has taken him from the steps of Machu Picchu in Peru to the steps of the Shinto Shrines of Japan, from Red Square in Russia to St. Peter's Square in Italy. And everywhere he has gone, from South Africa to Norway, to the Netherlands, the streets of Zurich to the streets of Seoul, Neil has experienced a hunger among the people to find a new way to live, at last, in peace and harmony. And he has thought to bring them to a new understanding of life and of God, which would allow everyone to experience this.
0: Mm-hmm. Not only that, Paula, but Neil has created an area on his website where members can interact directly with him every week. And every week his subscribers receive a new writing from him. He then works with members through questions and answers about the articles, contents. Uh, It's a great opportunity to interweave directly and have their own ongoing community of touch with Neil's conversation uh, with God Books. Neil Donald Walsh, we are so fortunate to capture some time with you this afternoon. It's such a great pleasure to have you with us. Welcome,
3: well, thank you for all those very kind words, and I, I, I don't, I, I don't feel that I can live up to them. I, I, I think it's a little bit lofty, of an introduction, and I'm sorry that, that, that you were sent all that material by my publicist, <laughs> because you know what, I, I have to tell the people who are listening now. I'm just a regular person. I swear to God, I'm just a regular, ordinary human being, no different from anybody else, with my own glaring set of faults and foibles, so to speak, although I do see them as perfections in the long run, <clears throat> and my own very, very simple basic human personality. So when I hear introductions like that, that are written, you know, kindly written by publicists, I think, yeah, I wonder who they're talking about there. But all all that happened to me was something that's happening to everybody, uh, Paula and Tez, It's happening to people all over the world. In fact, to all people throughout human history. All that happened to me is that I had a conversation and continue to have a conversation with God. And God has made it very clear to me. I'm talking to everybody all the time. The question is not to whom does God talk. The question is, who's listening? Yeah, that's very
2: important. What do you mean by the uh, prior assumption? And why is it important well, to challenge it when it comes to our beliefs?
3: Well, you know, I think that uh first of all uh just to back up one step, beliefs create behaviors, so what we believe about ourselves <clears throat> excuse me about, about God about life, what we believe uh about all of our experience from birth to death is not unimportant; it tends to generate and to sponsor. Uh, most of our uh, human behaviors, both individually and collectively as a society. So, if our beliefs are inaccurate in some to some degree, uh, it's going to create dysfunctional behaviors, and that, of course, is what's happening on the earth right now. Nothing that we've created, uh, that we intended to produce a particular outcomes, have done so. If I could just give you an example uh, in the area of politics, you know, we, we imagined that that our, our political beliefs would create a better life for all people on the planet, security and safety and harmony between nations. In fact, it's produced exactly the opposite. We imagine that our economic beliefs, the ideas about how economics should work on this planet, would produce plenty, or at least opportunity, certainly, for all people. Uh, But in fact, it's produced exactly the opposite. We've imagined that our beliefs about our social systems between peoples, would create you know harmony between peoples of all of races and colors and 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 ideas uh, between in, from neighborhood to neighborhood as well as country to country in fact it's produced exactly the opposite and saddest of all saddest of all we have imagined that our beliefs about god would create a, a sense of a closer a, a closeness to god and a closer relationship with each other and uh, sadly That, too, has produced exactly the opposite. Continuing war, violence, anger, terrorism, even killing and beheading on television in the name of God. Ah. And so we see, then, that our beliefs are not unimportant because our behaviors are being sponsored by our beliefs about life and uh, the beliefs about God that sponsor our beliefs about life. Now, to answer your question directly... What we have been uh, unwilling to do in human society is to question our prior assumption with regard to those beliefs. If we did this in medicine, we would be performing brain surgery with a very sharp stick. But in, in the areas of medicine, in the areas of technology, in the areas of science, the first thing we do when we imagine ourselves to have discovered something that's true, we question it. Immediately we question it. And our willingness to question the prior assumption in every area of our life except in our theology, in every other area, that willingness has produced marvelous, actually miraculous advancements in the human experience. But our refusal, our abject refusal to question the prior assumption with regard to theology, our prior assumptions about life and about God, is what has sent us back into the stone ages with regard to the way we interact with each other. I'll give you one example just to make it clear what I'm talking about. We have a belief that, as many people do, I'm going to say billions, actually, of people, hold a belief that's pronounced in the following doctrine. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's a belief that you'll find in Judaism, in Islam, in Christianity, in all of the world's great religions. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But guess what? That's produced something called the death penalty, by which we try to teach people that it's wrong to kill people by killing people. And so we kill people to, sh- to demonstrate that it's not okay to kill people. Einstein made the classic observation, of course, that you cannot solve a problem using the same level of consciousness that created it. But we're doing exactly that, and not just with regard to the death penalty, but many other ideas that we consider to be moral and to be God's morality, which tells us, for instance, as Replete in all the holy scriptures of most of the world's religions, that women should be considered at as, uh, a as sub-level to men, lower than men on the scale of excellence in humanity. In certain religions, a woman's testimony at court is considered uh, half the value of that of a man. That is, it takes two women to come to court to testify to the same thing in order for their word to be taken, as opposed to one man, one male witness. The the idea that that, uh, it's gay marriage and that people of the same gender should never express love for each other in a physical way, much less get married, uh, is based on the notion that God says that's not okay. I could give you a hundred other examples as well that affect uh, our society in everyday life. So we need now to begin, if we want to change the world, if we're tired of the world being the way it is, we need to question the prior assumption. We need to ask ourselves an innocent and plain simple question, is it possible, just possible, that there's something we don't fully understand here about God and about life, the understanding of which would change everything.
1: I, I
0: think people, people are not people are not really ahead. given the opportunity per se of scripture to challenge what's been uh, in the uh, scriptures. And so, you know, how, again, you know, when something is set up this way, with all different cultures, by the way, uh, you know, how do you be able to go in and um, open up those doors so people can look at something different?
3: Well, we have now something called the Internet, uh, and that's changed everything, really. Uh, What you said might have been true in 1956 or even 1966 or perhaps even 1986, but now in uh, 2015, uh, that's not true uh, and not wholesale true. Uh, People now can, anonymously actually, without without even, I want to say, sticking their neck out, without even uh, announcing who they are, have found a platform on which new ideas and new thoughts uh, can be brought to the space that challenge our previous notion of things. that's why, by the way, that's why so many governments and so many other institutions find the Internet rather um, uh, threatening, because now the average person does, in fact, have a way of putting ideas out there that can change everything. Here's what's going to happen pretty soon. In fact, it's happening right now. In 1517, the year 1517, Martin Luther put a document on the church house door in Wittenberg, Germany. It was a single piece of paper on which he had written... What he called his 95 Theses. It was a gentle, gentle uh, protest against certain doctrines and morals uh, of the day espoused by certain religious uh, organizations. And he just he simply put it up on a church house door. As we know from our history, that single act of gentle defiance produced the Reformation, a 300 year movement that changed everything in the world because people came by and they read that document and they said you know what excuse me he's right and they actually some people actually came down and copied they were so impressed with it that they wrote on their own piece of paper what he put on the door and pretty soon that became printed distributed all over europe and before we knew it we had something called the reformation today we can echo martin luther's uh, action his gentle act of defiance We can now place, not on the church house door, but on the computer screens of half the world, in a moment, by the way, in in 20 seconds or less, uh, a a single document or a series of statements that can influence and impact the world entire. We can also, by the way, decide to do it physically as well. We can actually have a single piece of paper that's printed uh, that contains a single statement that could shift the world's consciousness or at least open the doors for further discussion. And people can take that piece of paper and post them on the church house doors and the doors of every synagogue and mosque and temple and house of worship in the entire world if they want. In fact, that's what's happening on March 12th. On the 12th of March, I am sponsoring a movement called Awakening Day, in which I'm inviting people to simply place that single sheet of paper on which are are, are found one thousand words that would change the world the one thousand words that would change the world is a twenty five statement uh... twenty five sentence statement of the core messages of conversations with god and i'm inviting people around the world to simply tack them up to the church house doors, and for that matter, fold it up and place it under the windshield wipers of all the cars in all the shopping centers of all the cities of the world. Over 1,300 people have already signed up to do that on March 12th, and we expect to have five to 10,000 ultimately doing that all over the world, creating a worldwide experience of suddenly a single piece of paper showing up, not just on the church house doors and under the windshield wipers, but on the computer screens of everybody in, who has a Facebook friend or an address book and suddenly it will happen on one day, and the world will sit up and say, what is this? What's going on? Just as they did in 1517 when Martin Luther did exactly the same thing.
0: Hmm. So on Except your we website, follow. where do you pick up this um, these 25
3: core messages?
0: Core messages, yeah.
3: People can find more information about this by simply going to evolutionrevolution.net. That is the name we've given to this particular movement. We're calling it the Evolution Revolution. And if people want to join up and sign up for that activity, uh, in w- through which they can remain anonymous, by the way, uh, they simply need to go to evolutionrevolution.net. Let me give you an idea of some of the challenge, of some of the statements that we are challenging right now uh, in in this movement. I re- I re- in this latest book that, that just came out a, f- a few weeks ago, God's Message to the World, subtitled You've Got Me All Wrong, contains a list of 17 statements that are simply false. I'll give you just i I won't read all 17, but I'll give you like five or six to give you an idea. Here are some statements that we are inviting people to explore to see if maybe, maybe we don't have it exactly right. For instance, God is to be feared, true or false? Mm -hmm. God demands obedience, true or false? God is a superhuman male being, true or false? God requires us to believe in God and to worship God in a specific way. And if we do not do it in that specific way, no matter how pure our intent is, we're going to suffer eternal damnation and everlasting torture in the fires of hell, true or false? God is vengeful and God's love can turn to wrath, true or false? God has a plan for us. God is on our side. True or false? We take a look at 17 statements like that in this book and demonstrate how false they really are. More importantly, how the fact that they are false has negatively impacted and affected the world in which we now live. And finally, what we can do, the kind of world we can create, if we simply reject at last these ancient and misunderstood notions about God and about life and create a newer world just as Martin Luther invited us to do in 1517. It's time for an evolution revolution.
2: Yeah, we're not God-fearing
0: people anymore. Hopefully.
2: Unless
3: we are. <laughs> Billions of people are.
0: Yeah, they, they really are. In fact, I, I read across two of them yesterday, and I'm going, wow, <clears throat> they still believe in that in that way uh that god is to be feared and that you're going to go to hell and um you know uh it is really pretty amazing that well we... the
3: sad part about it is what what's sad about that i mean if it's just a person's individual belief fair enough i mean really truly believe what you wish but What's sad about that is that those beliefs about God's retributive justice and God's anger and wrath is what justifies wholesale acts of cruelty, terror, and killing among the human species, using God's idea of justice and, and our idea of God as our moral authority. See, we we, we use God as our moral authority to pass human laws and to take human actions. If it was just about beliefs about God, I mean, fair enough. Believe what you wish to believe. But please don't go around killing people and beheading them and then posting films of the beheading on the Internet to demonstrate what you think is God's justice. Please don't sit somebody in an electric chair in Texas where they executed over 550 people last year alone. That's more executed in one state than many countries execute in a year. Because we believe that God says, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. And so we're going to kill you to demonstrate that killing people is not okay. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. And we don't even see the contradiction. Even though Christ himself has said very clearly, judge not and neither condemn. And love those who persecute you. And bless your enemies. And when a man strikes you on the right cheek, turn and offer your left. But why pay attention to what Jesus says?
2: I know, I read it in your book, uh, that the people that come to you, uh, maybe as enemies or that bother you, they're angels sent to you, actually.
3: Yeah. I, that, that's been, that. that's been made that. That's been made very clear to me. God said to me in a very simple sentence, don't you know that I have sent you nothing but angels? That in fact what, what the world is doing is creating a context within which you can announce and declare, express and fulfill, become and experience who you really are. And all of the great metaphysical and spiritual teachers, the religious teachers of all time, have said the same thing. That's why each religion on the planet has an announcement, each in their own way, that says words to the effect of, do unto others, as you would have it done unto you. So it's really quite simple. The, the way to proceed to change our world on the planet is really very, very simple and very, very direct. We simply want to ignore it. We want to pretend that those wisdoms don't apply to us or that we don't fully understand it or that killing is okay as long as we're doing it in the name of God, which Christians did for 300 years in what was called the Crusades, where at the order of the Pope, we killed anybody who did not confess in Christ. I mean, we killed them right on the spot. Yeah. No no wonder there's such bitterness in certain parts of the world and as well the Islamic jihad no less innocent uh or no more innocent they you know doing the same thing uh, certain practitioners of those religions this doesn't mean to indict all Christians or all Muslims or all anybody but it does let us know with without, without any uncertainty that our beliefs in God's wrath has justified morally our beliefs in our own wrath and allowed us to practice that wrath and to terrorize and kill people in God's name. All of which is what caused Archbishop Bill Swing of the Episcopal Church, now retired, to say a few years ago, in God's name, can we stop the killing in God's name?
2: Uh, that's what every I mean, that's what the majority of people want, to deepen their heart. But I'm not sure um, that the
3: majority of people do. That's what a certain a, a portion of the people now, a what I would call the cultural creatives, want. But the majority of people still, that is one over half, one over half being a majority, 51% of the people are not there. I'm sorry to say, they're, they're still believing these ancient beliefs. If the majority of people wanted that, we would have it on the earth. But, in fact, it is not the majority of people who want that. Maybe the majority of people in the circles that you travel in want that. But I promise you, you travel around the world and you'll find that billions, not a couple thousand, billions of people believe in God's wrath, God's justice, and the idea that we're all going to hell. Eternal damnation. And, by the way, I have the right, I have the religious right to send you there if you don't believe and behave in the way that I prescribe
1: Oh, I
2: heard that. What I, was <laughs> say, what, I, what I was saying is the majority of people want peace and harmony.
3: I mean, I would agree with that. They don't, I would, I, they don't I would know how to do about it. Yeah, and and that—that—that's yeah. that's the that's the first question on the top of my website. Right at the top of my website, evolution, the very first question is, how is it possible for billions of people to all say they want the same thing and be unable to get it?
0: Well, they go at it differently. Wow. Well, don't
2: you think we're control? I mean, religion is a way to control people, and religion, is like politics,
3: shoot? economics. Uh, uh, religion is not the only way that we that people are controlled. Politics, economics, our social systems, most of which derive from our earliest religious beliefs. Fair enough. So yes, our whole society. Is, is immersed in a, a series of institutions, not just religion, politics, economics, social constructions, and uh, c- civil laws all around us that, that uh, you know, attempt to control us. You know, there's something very interesting about being controlled at that level. I uh, I know of a place uh, in the world where the traffic is unbelievable, unbelievably complicated. I call it in my own mind. I call it suicide circle. It it happens to be the circle around the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. I've been around that circle many times because I have friends in Paris and I visit Paris sometimes three times a year. And my friends live two blocks from the Arc de Triomphe. Well, getting across that circle, you take your life in your hands. There are no traffic lanes, there are no traffic signs, there are no traffic lights, and there are no traffic police. You're on your own. And thousands of people crisscross that circle every day. It's enough to turn your hair gray if you've never done it before. But here's what's interesting, something fascinating. Fewer traffic accidents and far fewer traffic fatalities occur on that circle around the Arc de Triomphe than occur on... 150 yards away on the Champs-Élysées, where there are lane markings, stop signs, traffic lights, and traffic police. How is it possible that where there is a complete freedom and lack of restriction and governance, there is more safety and more security than there is where the traffic flow is tightly restricted and governed by signs and police? What's going on there? Is there a lesson to be learned here? The answer is, of course, that people that travel around that circle, around the Arc de Triumph, all have the same thing in mind. They all agree with each other. The agreement is inherent. It's implicit. When you get on the circle, we all agree. What we want to do is whatever it takes to take care of each other and ourselves sufficiently that we survive this journey. Yeah. Oh. It's quite simple. Great example.
0: Yeah, <laughs> It's beautiful. Actually, there's a YouTube showing that, and it's very chaotic. (laughs) But like you say, everybody gets through safe and all of them, you know. Uh, Neil, throughout your spiritual journey, what was your biggest epiphany that you could have um, and uh, that not ever anticipate or imagine, that you could have never anticipated or imagined?
3: I've been asked that question many times, Tess. I've 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 everywhere I go, people say to me, In the three thousand pages of the conversations with God material, what's the biggest epiphany? What's the most important message? If you could boil it all down to one sentence, what would it be? And I said, You know, I can I actually can do that because because I asked God at, at very early actually in the dialogue. There's a three thousand pages of dialogue, but probably on page twenty seven or somewhere very early in, in that in that conversation that I recorded, I I asked God, what what does it take to make life work? What don't I understand here? The understanding of which would change everything. Please, would you just tell me? Because I've been around now for half a century and I just don't get it. What don't I understand? And God's answer was immediate and almost, in a sense, Humorous humorous in the sense of a person who delights in the actions of a three-year-old child, for instance, who might chuckle a bit, even as the correction is put into place. What God said to me was, Neil, Neil, it's really very simple. (laughs) You think your life is about you. (laughs) And your life has nothing to do with you. It has to do with everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. Yet when you understand that and choose with deliberation and intention the way in which you touch the lives of others, all the things you are yearning for in your own life will come to you without effort, automatically. Or as someone far more eloquent than I will ever be once said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you.
2: Did you see a difference in your life when you started um, doing what God had just spoken? I mean, realizing that you're not, uh, I mean, everything's about you, but it actually is not. I mean, did your life start to change after that?
3: Immediately. It changed within 24 hours. The first thing that changed was interior, the exterior changes took a while. It didn't happen in a week, or month, or even a year. But within a year and a half or two, within a couple of years, even my exterior realities began to shift, and I mean dramatically. But the interior change was immediate, like within 24 hours. And the interior change was I was more peaceful, more joyful, more thoughtful, more careful, more wonderful. That is, more full of wonder and wonderful in other ways as well. And I began to move through the world in an entirely different way, with an entirely different agenda. Not seeking what it is I imagine I didn't have enough of and trying to figure out a way to get it, more love or more income or more happiness or more creativity or more satisfaction or more fulfillment or whatever I felt I needed more of. Not not looking in my life to see how I could achieve more of those things and acquire more of those things, but rather how I could use my life to make certain that everyone else who imagined that they didn't have enough of those things could achieve more of those things. I decided to move through my life beginning the next day in a new way that would give people back to themselves that would have nothing to do with me. Realizing in that flash of inspiration, in that moment, that I actually, if the truth be told, had all I could possibly really ask for. And when I compared my life to the life of millions of people else around the planet, I was very clear about that. Very clear about how life had given me everything I could possibly ask for. And the only reason I was unhappy is because I wanted more. I I wanted even more. Even more than that, thank you. And even more than that, if you please, because what I had some, somehow or another d- didn't seem like enough. But that was the second great, great uh, insight that I got from conversations with God a two word statement that shifted my reality there's enough. And in that moment, I realized wow, I've always had enough money, enough love, enough time. Enough of whatever I felt I needed more of to be happy. And you know the proof of that? You know how I know that that's true? Because I'm still here. So notice that I've clearly had enough. What do I think I need to be truly happy? What do I think I'm lacking? And then God gave me another insight. Whatever you think you're lacking, be the source of it in the life of another. That is, give to another what you wish you had more of yourself. And as you give it to another... Notice that it will flow through you. Notice that you will have the experience of having that to give. By the very act of giving to another, you declare your possession of the self same thing, and suddenly you experience it as well. It's a very, very simple understanding. It's so simple that a six-year-old can understand it. But as my friend Einstein used to say, I call him my friend because I love to quote him right and left. As Albert Einstein says, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it well enough yourself.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, isn't that what Jesus was teaching all along? Precisely. And and
3: not just not just Jesus, did, but every spiritual master, Buddha, Lao Tzu, Muhammad, Moses, Mother Teresa. Helena Bingham, I mean, you know, all of the great spiritual masters, male and female, ancient and contemporary, Paramahansa Yogananda, you know, you know right now, uh, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, the, the great monk who lives in France today, the Dalai Lama, I mean, ancient and contemporary spiritual teachers, including Jesus, have been saying the same thing over and over again, as God said in the beginning of my conversation. I'm talking to all of you all the time. The question is not, to whom does God talk? The question is, who's listening?
2: Yeah. Where did we lose it all?
3: Well, you know, it's, good, it's a good question. We we lost it. We lost it all when we began embracing the notion, and I'll explain why this is important. The notion of separation theology. We lost it all in the earliest days of our understanding, with regard to life, when we began to think that there was a, a power greater than us. We may not have called it God in those days. We were just cavemen, you understand. But we saw things happening around us. We just, lightning was striking. Forest fires were erupting. The earth. The earth was shaking and quaking. Things were happening, and we didn't understand why, because we weren't doing it. We sat around the campfire and asked everybody, you doing that? No, nobody would admit it, because, of course, nobody was doing it. So we all came to a conclusion, there's something larger, something larger than us going on. And so we tried to figure out, what could we do to that something larger? What, how could we ameliorate? How could we, how can we you know, mitigate what's going on here? What can, how can we change the outcome? And so we tried to do everything from dances to songs. and we did, Out of that idea was this thought that whatever is larger than us, whatever is doing these things on the earth, is over there and we're over here. That is, it's separate from us. It's other than us. That notion gave birth to the earliest ideas of primitive religion, which evolved eventually through the centuries into what I call separation theology. Separation theology says that God is over there, up there, and we're over here, down here, and never the twain shall meet except perhaps on Judgment Day. So God's up there and we're down here, two separate, entirely separate entities, God and us. And as I said earlier, if that's just a belief system that we hold, fair enough. Let let it begin and end there. Fair enough. But the problem is that a separation theology produces a separation cosmology, that is a cosmological way that human beings hold the experience of life itself that indicates that everything is separate from everything else. We live in a, in a, in a milieu of disunity. Even that would not be so bad if it, if it began and ended there. But the problem with a separation cosmology is that it produces a separation psychology. That is, individual psychological holdings that says, I'm separate from you, I'm other than you, and regrettably in some cases, I'm <clears throat> better than you. Even that wouldn't be so bad if it ended there. But a separation psychology produces a separation sociology that is entire societies that believe that they're better than other societies and separate from other societies. And sadly, a separation sociology produces a separation pathology, pathological behaviors of self-destruction, observable throughout human history. The formula, how we got here, is really quite simple. It's easy to observe. The question is not, how did we get here? But how do we get out of here? That's why I wrote a book, God's Message to the World. You've got me all wrong.
2: It's like right in front of our face, but we haven't seen it.
3: Or even if we have seen it, we don't believe it. Sadly enough, we don't believe it. You know why? Because it's too good to be true. But if our beliefs about God can't be too good to be true, what can? So,
2: besides March 12th, what can an individual do to shift this?
3: You can become a stealth spiritual messenger. We're inviting people to become an actual stealth spiritual messenger, to to join what I'm calling the Underground Distribution Network, people could simply get a copy of that book. It's one one thing, there are many, many things people can do, but if what I'm saying resonates with some people, and by the way, if they want to know whether it resonates specifically, they can go online and find five sample chapters of that book. It's very easy to find. You can read five chapters, and you'll know within ten minutes whether or not what I'm saying resonates with you or not. Those sample chapters are uh, findable. That is, You can get them on the Internet by simply going to God's Message to the World. Info. God's Message to the World. Info. And there you'll find five chapters. What we're inviting people to do, if they if they resonate with what I'm saying here, is just get an extra copy or two. Just just get two or three books rather than just one. Then leave them around. Accidentally forget your book on a park bench or at a coffee shop somewhere or at the gymnasium when you go to do your exercise or wherever. Just you know, in, in the beauty shop, just leave the books around. Become part of an underground distribution network. If ten thousand people chose to do that, with two books each, that would be you know twenty thousand books. That would and that, the, those books would be passed on to others and others and others. It's, it's a way to demonstrate that all the armies in the world cannot stop an idea whose time has come. Mm-hmm. So it's about it's about the struggle of ideas. And that's what people can do. People say, well, what can one person do? Actually, one person can do a great deal. If someone had said to me, by simply sharing ideas, that my life would ultimately wind up touching 15 million people who have purchased these books, I would have laughed and said, that's improbable, impossible, and not going to happen. And God would have said, really? Watch. (laughs) Now
2: on on your uh, website uh, you have a free book called Storm Before the Calm and I was reading that and uh, I haven't finished it but it's pretty powerful and I would suggest for people to read that.
3: Yes, it, it, it indicates what's going on in the world today. It's one of several free books that I've put up on the website on on the internet I should say. Many many of my books are are placed in whole on the uh, internet so that I can answer people who have said to me and some people have said oh well it's all very nice and well of good of you to do that you're making tons of money off of your books I say really what other author do you know that puts five books in total complete on the internet I don't know many who do that and I don't know even one other spiritual author who does it name one, because I don't know of one. Deepak isn't doing it. Marianne Williamson isn't doing it. Eckhart Tolle isn't doing it. James Redfield isn't doing it. In fact, I know of no other spiritual author who's doing it.
2: Well, I think they should start doing it.
0: (laughs) Well, it's pretty incredible. And Neil, you know, you, uh, in uh, 1992, in February, you, um say that you had a mystical experience that set your life on this extraordinary path that you're on now and what was that experience that you had?
3: Well you know I was uh, awakened by my emotions actually, sometimes your emotions can wake you up and I was literally tossing and turning in my sleep and I was awakened by my emotions and I was furious I was so angry because I was around 50 years old And I think I was 50 that year, and it was at the half-century mark of my life, and I thought, what is it that makes life work? What have I done? To deserve a life of such continuing struggle, you have to understand, to place this into context, this was just about the time, about just a few months after I got off the street, after living on the sidewalk, after living outside for a year of my life. I was a street person for a year, not because I was unintelligent or didn't know how to make a living, but because a series of events, including an automobile accident that caused me to break my neck and other other events that made it impossible for me to find work, and the insurance company did not pay off the benefits for two and a half years after that accident. So for two and a half years, I was without income. And I had nowhere to turn and nowhere to go. At least I thought I didn't. I didn't want to go to my family. I didn't want to go to my father. I could have called my dad and said, can you help me out? But I, I was too prideful to do that. And I thought, really, honestly, I thought this was just going to last for a couple of weeks, a month or two at the most. Well, in fact, it lasted for a year. I lived on the sidewalk outside for a year in the weather then when I finally got a job someplace again, after healing my neck, my broke, I broke my neck in that automobile accident. After healing a broken neck, I finally got back to work and found something that I could do that wasn't putting too much of a strain on my body. And then I realized the other vacuousness of life. That's when I realized, oh my God, this is a totally vacuous experience. I'm no happier now than when I was on the street. What is it I'm missing Life shouldn't be this much of a struggle, and I called out to God in the middle of the night. I went out to my living room, and I was lying on the couch, and I I kind of fell back to sleep, but a fitful rest in which I called out to God, what is it I don't understand here? Come on, I'm 50 years old, and I heard a voice. That was the spiritual experience to which you refer. I actually heard a physical voice in the room over my right shoulder. Are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? Neil, do you really want answers to all of these questions? Or are you just venting? I, of course, thought I was going crazy out of my mind. People don't hear voices in the middle of the night. There's nobody in my house. I turned around. Nobody was there, of course. I thought, oh, great. Not only am I burning myself (laughs) up from the inside out with anger, I'm losing my mind. But, in fact, for some strange mystical reason in that self-same moment i was overcome with a feeling of peace tranquility serenity and a deep level of happiness joyfulness and even i want to say awareness that all would be okay and i sat there on the couch and i began to cry i actually wept just a grown man 50 years old sitting on the couch in an empty house in a darkened room crying to myself wow Not even crying out of frustration anymore, but rather the opposite, crying out of a sense of somehow, suddenly, everything would be all right, and I had the ability to know all I needed to really know. And that's when I picked up on the coffee table in front of me, there happened to be a yellow legal pad, and I picked up a yellow legal pad. I must have been using it to to make a grocery list or whatever, and I picked it up and found a, a pen, and I began to write questions. And I received answers to all the questions. Before I knew it, I was involved in a non-paper dialogue with God, which wound up covering 3,000 pages written over a period of several years. A dialogue that has not stopped to this very day. A dialogue that produced nine books in the Conversations with God series. And in the first book, what became the first book, because I was never really writing a book. I was writing. A, I was journaling. I experienced it as a process of journaling, never imagining that anybody else would ever see any of this. But somewhere in the middle of this journaling, I received the following message. This will one day become a book. And I thought to myself, of course, (laughs) you and a hundred other people are going to send your middle of the night mental meanderings to a publisher, and he's going to say, we have to get this out at once. This guy's talking to God. (laughs) I mean, it was just so absurdly improbable. But in fact, I did send it to a publisher just to see just. Just to see, I was certain it would never get anywhere. Nobody would publish a book by a man who says he's talking to God. It's ridiculous. But in fact, it was published. And it sold millions and millions and millions of copies in 37 languages. I'm not bragging here. This is not me just tooting my own horn. I'm telling you what happens when God says something to us. We probably should listen.
0: Yeah, we certainly have been told um all humanity has been taught about god and um and our opinions uh need to uh be relaxed here and we need to go in and listen uh, more readily and um i thank you for sharing that story i think you know, the factor of you weeping and everything. I mean, this is like just so thankful to receive these kind of um, messages, and you know it's true. Your heart just begins to just realize that it's really really the case. Uh, You know, it it changes uh, the person.
2: And when you actually follow your heart things are much easier
0: I think that everybody
3: I think Mm -hmm. that everybody has their own dark night of the soul that's what I've described and I don't know anybody over the age of 30 (laughs) and and some considerably younger who haven't had that experience something like that where they just sit around and they say come on I mean come on there's got to be something better than this this can't be the beginning and the end of it there's clearly more here than meets the eye Or as Shakespeare so eloquently wrote, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy.
0: You have a question. Go ahead, Paul. Go ahead. I was just
2: going to go back to um, our old cultural uh, story. Uh, I I happened to be raised in a non-religious family. My mother did not believe in religion, and so I, when I started reading your book, I thought, well, this probably doesn't apply to me, but then I saw the overlay where the culture study goes to the how I was kind of drawn in from another way, I mean, as, as far as economics go, polit- politics go, so everything overlays everything in, in our old cultural study
3: story there's no question about that even people who don't believe in god have their lives affected by those who do for several reasons number one it's the majority of people there are those who don't believe in god for sure but the vast majority i mean the vast majority something like 65 or 70 percent of the people on the planet studies have shown do believe in some kind of higher power so that and then the uh, the other twenty five or thirty percent are not unbelievers. Some are simply don't knowers. They just don't know, so they call themselves uh, agnostics. I'm not sure, but the number of atheists, people who are absolutely certain there's no such thing as God, is about five point six, five point eight percent of the people on the planet. Nevertheless, because they're so far outnumbered, they discover very soon that the laws of nations under which they live and the cultural norms and the cultural standards and the cultural mores under which they live are all foundationed in religious precepts, dogmas, and doctrines that goes without question. We we, we see, we observe clearly that most of Western law is based on the law, the the early law of the church. That's demonstrable. We can, you know, sociologists understand that. And as I indicated earlier, our ideas right now about what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, what what is evil and what is not evil, are based primarily on our earliest notions of what God declares to be right or wrong. Good and bad, evil and not evil. So even those people who don't believe in God, without question, have their lives affected by those who do. Therefore, the question of what does the largest number of people on the planet believe about God becomes not insignificant. Rather, it becomes the most important single aspect of humanity's evolutionary process. Our beliefs create our behaviors. There's no doubt about that.
2: We're overhauling humanity. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a good one. <laughs>
3: but that's what we're experiencing right now is what I call in the book, The Storm Before the Calm, the overhaul of humanity. And that's what's happening because, you know, we're very young. It's it, all, this, all that I've talked about here is very understandable and even in a sense forgivable, if I could use the term in that sense, uh, because of how young we are. We're a very, very young species. Let me give you an example of just how young we are. If we took the age of the Earth and put it on, overlaid it on a calendar, a one-year calendar, just for purposes of scale, if we used uh, a a 12-month calendar for the purposes of scale, the the first, you know, cellular beings, the first single-cell forms of life didn't even show up on this planet until the middle of March. Dinosaurs didn't appear until around the 7th of December. Dinosaurs didn't disappear until December 25th. Human life as we know it didn't occur on the planet until the midway through the 1st of January. And the last 60 seconds of the year contained all of human history as we know it. That's how young the human species is relative to the age of this planet forget about the age of the universe so we are like children the truth is we are very much like children and you know, we're like kids who've learned their addition and subtraction and imagine that's all there is to mathematics not even considering the possibility of long division uh, or forget about higher math we think that addition and subtraction is all there is and we imagine that we know all there is to know about God. It's not even arrogant. It's simply the innocence of children. Now, when we understand that, then we begin to see humanity's behaviors over the past many thousands of years the way God does. God says, you know what, this is an evolving species. And they're just now, in these days and times, emerging from their long period of gestation and birthing themselves into the cosmic community of sentient beings this is a birthing process but like all births it's fraught with both opportunity and danger if we're not careful we could in fact still do ourselves in because we are as children playing with matches and we do have the ability to completely eliminate ourselves as a species in the universe that's where we are right now understanding that We are now moving into the overhaul of humanity, shifting and changing our most fundamental and, may I use the word, childish beliefs about life and about God, and changing and shifting them one at a time until finally the whole of humanity's belief system is overhauled, not dissolved and thrown away, but shifted and changed, as you would overhaul an engine, not to stop it from working, not to discard it, but to make it work better than it ever worked before. So there's nothing really to be afraid of here in the overhaul of humanity if we understand exactly what's going on. And that's our opportunity right now to take a look at exactly what's going on and to decide what would it take to change our cultural story, to reject at last and finally our childish beliefs about life, about ourselves, about who we are, and about this thing that some of us call God, Yahweh, Brahman, Jehovah, Allah, or whatever other word it pleases us to use to to refer to that ineffable essence that we call the divine. If we can begin to shift and to mature in our beliefs and our understandings about all of that, we can sustain life, we can save life on this planet, but unless we change our course and direction, we will find that how we're living now is simply unsustainable. And life will show us that. We are seeing ourselves self-destructing. We're doing it from Ferguson, Missouri, to Syria and Iraq, and all the places in between.
2: Sad to say.
3: But there's an out. Well, there's a chance. There's an opportunity. It's sad to say and sad to observe, but it's not. does not need to be the end of times you know it's like the tale of two cities it was the worst of times and the best of times we have an opportunity here it's just a question of whether we're going to take that opportunity whether we're going to engage individually in the evolution revolution but somebody has to stand up and say this way this way please we're moving in the wrong direction and that's an opportunity for each of us each of us can play a role in that redirecting of humanity's course in which we can change the course of human history but it has to begin somewhere, and each of us has an opportunity to provide a beginning point in our own lives and in the lives of all those whose lives we touch. That's why I wrote the book, God's Message to the World. You've got me all wrong.
2: Love it. Plus, you're, plus you have the CWG Village, where it's a community that you started on the your website, which is fabulous. There's so much information on it. And just before we got on air today you said that the easiest way to um to get onto your website would be ndw.com
3: is that right? Now ndwhome.com oh, N-D-W, okay. of course, being my initials, Neil Donald Ross. So if people want to go to ndwhome.com they'll find themselves on my home page. And that way they don't have to try to figure out how to spell my name. It's really quite simple. ndwhome.com. When you get there, click on CWG Connect if you want to connect with me directly and personally. Uh, or take a look at all the other resources that are there. I want to make one thing very clear before I finish here. The central message of Conversations with God is a single sentence. Ours is not a better way. Ours is merely another way. I want to make everyone who's hearing my voice now clear. I'm not saying here that CWG, Conversations with God, is the way or the best way. I'm simply saying it's another way. Ours is not a better way. Ours is merely another way to look at life. But might this be another way that could at least remove us from the trap in which we have found ourselves and at least present us an escape hatch to get out of this particular way of behaving with each other to open up possibilities of there's more that we don't understand about God, more here than meets the eye.
0: Yeah, exactly. I I want to remind people also to um, head to the website website that gives you five steps to peace and that you can distribute some of the information that um, Neil talked about. And that's evolutionrevolution.net. Again, evolutionrevolution.net. Um, this is, you know, this this is so wonderful. We certainly hope that we can have you back with us again, Neil, soon uh, for keeping us updated with your latest articles and, techniques really stimulating new thinking patterns to alleviate and soften the stresses everyone is experiencing presently. Uh, it frees up an individual's godly creativity, and, and then it enables them to support our planet in, in a more flourishing um, way. We, we, You know, I just, I have great feelings that we're just going to be able to to manifest this, meal, you know, it feels really good. The planet at this time to me feels really like people are really coming to the forefront and saying, yes, let's go forward. And, um, I, I hope that other people feel that way too. And, um,
3: and well, I think that you're right. I think that they do in large numbers. The human race is losing patience with itself. It's as simple as that. We may not know the answers. We may not know the best way to get along with each other and to, even, for that matter, improve our own lives. But we certainly know that the answers we've been given thus far are simply not working. That much we know. Yeah. So yeah. as as do all evolving species, we're now ready to grow into new answers, new thoughts, new ideas, and a new tomorrow. That's why this is called the New Thought Movement.
2: Yeah. Exactly, and we, uh, you're coming to our area, uh, the New Life Expo in April. So, looking forward to having you in our area.
3: Wonderful. Thank you for having me on the Thank program you. today. I appreciate it very
0: much. Blessings, Neil. Thank Stay you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.